0: everybody back into down the line. As always, I'm Carson Breber, and today we have a bunch to catch up on because I said a few weeks ago that I was going to take one week off as summer was getting started. I ended up taking 3 weeks off, and I apologize for that because it means I didn't specifically address what was going on in Madrid or Rome with a preview episode, but today we're kind of going to do a big recap because of that of the clay court swing up to this point as of course we get ready for the French. I think the first thing we have to talk about here, the biggest takeaway, as always, is just the remarkable dominance of Rafa Nadal, who, since our last episode here, won in Barcelona, and then, of course, just won in Rome, but they haven't been the easiest paths. And in some ways, I think that's what's been so impressive about this is... He's had to really grind out some tough matches against some really good players. Barcelona won his first two matches, both in three, against Ivashka and Nishikori. Not guys you necessarily expect to push him that far, but it's always impressive when maybe you don't have your best stuff, maybe the other guy catches you off guard, it's closer than you're expecting, and you still come out with a win, that is obviously the sign of a champion and a testament to his ability to just win matches regardless of the course that he takes to get there. Then the final one, three as well, great match against Sitsipas, who obviously has been phenomenal this year, has been great on clay. That was an impressive grind to win the 500, and then Rome was up another level. Obviously, Barcelona is about as good of a draw you'll get for a 500, but here, he has to go through Shapovalov, which I think was probably the match of the tournament where he's down a set and a break in the second set, and then he's down a break in the third set after he comes back to win the second. He's down multiple match points, and he just keeps finding a way against the red-hot Shapovalov, who on his best day is obviously terrifying to anyone with just the power that he brings to the table, the ability to hit remarkable shots that so few other players on this planet can, even on clay and yet Rafa withstood that challenge and comes out on top. And then he gets the revenge win over Zverev, the guy who had just beaten him in Madrid, a very rare loss on clay for him. And then you fast forward to the final after he gets through Opelka in the semis, and he beats Nole in just a grueling three-setter, two hours, 50 minutes, such a battle, a phenomenal match, and of course it always is when these two square off, with the exception of their last meeting before this at the French, where Rafa really ran through him in a way that we haven't ever seen before in this rivalry, but I mean, the first set goes an hour 15. Second set, even though Novak is really in control, was still 45 minutes, third set is another 45 minute battle, and that was another one in which things really could have gone south for Rafa, because first off, he had to gut out a very even first set, and then after Djokovic came on so strong in the second, was dictating really how that match was being played at that point. And then in the third, has a few break points in that game at 2-all, I believe it was. Rafa withstands it and then breaks at love in the following game. Had to hit a couple of remarkable shots to get out of that first game and hold himself. And then, boom, he's in control. He's in the driver's seat. And once he gets in that position, he's pretty much unstoppable on clay. So, there is still nothing like Rafa Nadal on clay in this sport. There never has been. And for my money, there probably never will be. I think he shows that when he finds his way past the best guys in the world time and again like this no matter how competitive it gets it just seems like he always has that little extra push at the end and obviously Djokovic is a guy who over the past half decade has been almost even with Rafa in their meetings on clay but I just think that he reaffirmed with the final as great as it was why he's the best clay quarter in the world and why he's the best clay quarter of all time so That was a really fun rivalry match, it's been a really fun run from Rafa, fun to see him always dominate on clay, and again, when he's challenged like this and he still comes out on top, it's a testament to his greatness, so that's probably the biggest takeaway. But on the flip side of that, kind of want to talk about a guy who is generally considered to be one of the biggest challengers to Rafa on clay, and for good reason, because he's had some remarkable results, made a couple of French Open finals, made a couple more semis, and that is Dominic Thiem. And I'm kind of just wondering what is up with Team at this point. And I'm not going to say there are huge red flags going off. Obviously, when a guy is as consistent on tour as he has been for a half decade, you can't just point at a five-tournament run and say, this guy's lost it or there's something seriously wrong. But we are five tournaments deep for him on the year. And he's made one semi, he's got a 9-6 and record, obviously took some time off to get ready for the clay swing, then didn't play in Monte Carlo, just lost in Rome in his second match to Lorenzo Sonego, who had a phenomenal run, but is still not a worthy opponent to team probably on his best day. Team's 0-3 versus top 15 opponents on the year, and his best result was that semi-final run in Madrid, and even there, he goes 3 versus Isner, Isner was playing well, but you expect him on clay to maybe handle that matchup a little bit more easily, and then he got kind of routine by Zverev, and Zverev was playing phenomenally well. Ended up winning the tournament, had just beaten Rafa Nadal, but that's a matchup that you expect Team to at least hold his own a little bit more in. He led the head-to-head between the two of them on clay, 4-1 to one going into that, is obviously such a powerful clay quarter, and yes, Zverev was confident he was playing at a really high level, but it's still a little bit strange, and that's his best loss on the year probably, so I can't say that I'm concerned about Team, and I can't say that I expect him to continue to play at this level for the rest of the year, or even that it's been a completely alarming level. I just will say that it's now time to kick into gear because he's 16th in the race to London at this point. Yes, he's played less tournaments than a lot of those guys above him and were early in the year. And of course, he has a lot of points that he still has to defend at the French and obviously at the US Open where he won the whole thing. But if you look at the three guys right behind him in the actual rankings, Zverev, Tsitsipas, Rublev, those guys are number three, number one, and number four in the race to London. They have been racking up points. And so the pressure is on if you're Dominic team. Because these guys are getting better. They're all playing their best tennis yet. And I think that that's a continuation from last year for a guy like Rublev. But Zverev and Tsitsipas have just been locked in. Phenomenal across surfaces. And so this is kind of the chance for team now. You're at the French. It's your best tournament historically. And you have a real opportunity to make some noise. Nobody would be surprised if you got to the final. And you have as good a chance as anyone, along with Novak Djokovic, of actually beating the King of Clay himself. But when you leave the Clay 1,000 swing, and when you leave Barcelona having not played it with 405 total points across all those tournaments, that's not outstanding for a guy like team who you expect to kind of just rack up points and rack up wins in these situations. So, again, not like we need to ring the alarm bells, but the pressure is on because the guys behind him are coming in hot, and he can no longer sit pretty and say, I am by far the best challenger to the big three because. I don't know if you can say that at this point. I mean, obviously Medvedev is the guy sitting at number two in the world. And again, the three guys below him have been better as of late. So he may be the slam champ out of the group. He may have the best career resume. That's all fine and dandy, but it only matters for so long. And the guys behind him are coming in hot. So... I just wanted to address that developing trend with team. But now I want to flip back to the positive side of things and talk about what to me was probably the story of the tournament in Rome. And that is the hometown kid, the Italian Lorenzo Sonego, who, as I mentioned, beat team in his run, making it to the semis. And Sonego is a guy who has had some impressive results before, obviously beat Djokovic a few months ago in Vienna in a match in which Djokovic didn't look anything like himself. But Sonego kind of ran through him because of it. And this is just a fun story, Sonego's another fun late bloomer, first cracked the top 100 at 23 years old, and now here he is at 26, 28 in the world, and just had a phenomenal run. It wasn't just team, he beat Monfi, he beat Rublev, all highly competitive matches, guts those out, then pushed Djokovic 3 in the semis of a Masters 1000, that's just really impressive stuff, and I think it's a testament to how great of a competitor he is, because he's got a good all-around game, he's got power, he can be steady from the ground, he can vary the pace. But he just has a lot of fight in him. He has a lot of spirit and a lot of confidence. And sometimes that is the difference between a guy who is talented but doesn't have the mental side and a guy who can go out there and win big matches and believe that he can beat the best in the world. And I think that's what we saw from Sonego. And he's been great on clay this year. He won a much smaller tournament, of course, in Cagliari earlier in the year. So really, is just performing fantastic on Italian soil. Nine and two on clay, though, in 2021. And of course... Sonego is not going to start contending for slams anytime soon. I don't think he's even as talented or exciting as another late bloomer like uh, an Aslan Karatsev. It's not that significant in the scheme of things, but it's fun, especially when those guys, again, have that late breakthrough and are rewarded for continuing to grind on the tour and start really winning matches, beating some of the best guys in the world. That's always great to see, and he's a really good player, and he just had a phenomenal run. And There was another guy who also made it to the semis in probably more shocking fashion, and is Riley Opelka, but I just don't even know what to make of that. With Sonego, there's a bit of a trend, obviously. He had to beat a more challenging group of opponents, and we've seen him have success on clay previously, and it makes sense with him stylistically. It's in his own country and all that. Opelka entered Rome with a 2-10 and career record on clay. And a 2-7 and seven record on the year, just had not been playing his best tennis, and next thing you know, he's losing 4-4 four and four to Rafa in the semis and didn't have nearly the same caliber of a path. But it's very impressive nonetheless, especially for a massive American who kind of just slaps at the ball and is so dependent on the serve to do that on clay. You just don't see that every year. You certainly don't see it every tournament. And so that was a fun story, but I really don't think it means all that much long-term. I want to shout out one more guy here before we move on to the women's side, and he didn't have a particularly impressive result in Rome, but he did in Madrid, and he did in Monte Carlo, and that is Casper Rudd, who obviously I've been a massive advocate of for some time if you've listened to the show. I picked him as my breakout candidate to have a Diminar-type season ahead of 2020. That's what I said at the time, and clay is obviously where he excels. I think he's a top 10 player in the world on clay. Made the semis in both Madrid and Monte Carlo. And made the semis, I believe, in Rome last year. So it's just incredible consistency on clay. And you see he just whips that forehand. Is such a good mover. So steady from the ground. Uh, The dude is great. And he's not a specialist. He can still win matches on hard, no question about it. But he just leaps up a different level on clay. And I think that we saw that throughout this clay court swing. And I hope we see him make some magic happen in the French as well. I would not at all put a quarterfinal run past him. I wouldn't put a semifinal run past him. I think he's that good on clay. And so that's just another guy who I gotta shout out because he's a favorite here at down the line and we got to look out for our guys. Let's look to the women here because I think that we saw a lot of interesting stuff happen in Rome. To me, it was a little bit more exciting than Madrid. Madrid Sabalenka went out there and won. And that was great for her. She's obviously been so consistently good throughout this year. One of the best players on tour, but we kind of had the young players make a little more noise in uh, Rome. And if you're familiar with down the line, you know that that's what we get most excited about. And the first person I want to talk about out of that group is Coco Goff, who just had probably the best result of her career, making the semis in Rome. Had to beat a couple really great players to get there. Sakari, Sabalenka, a couple of powerful players from the ground, experienced players who know how to win matches, and she comes out on top of both. And it's really good to see her finish matches like that, because what I always say with Coco is She will be neck and neck with anybody, but it feels like too often she just can't get past the finish line and sometimes she'll play down a competition, sometimes she'll beat the best players in the world, sometimes she'll be in position to beat the best players in the world, and she just can't do it in the final moments. If it's a double fault, that takes her down, whatever it may be in those big moments. So that was great to see, especially on clay, because obviously she's a talented player regardless of surface, but we've seen her best results up to this point, really on hard, also on the grass at Wimbledon. That's where she's been so impressive, where her power, her big serve her ability to flatten it out all shine the most. But she's still hit so well on clay. She's got good margin. She makes a little bit of an adjustment. I feel like it's a little more of the heavy topspin, but I think her power translates too. And so I'm very excited to see her at the French because she's 17 years old and she's a young 17. She turned 17 in March. So we've got 10 months before we're talking about an adult here, which is just crazy because of how long she has been in the public eye and how long she's been winning matches and how apparent her talent has been for multiple years now, but it's going to be great to see her at the French. It's only going to be her second crack at it, and I think she's playing some really good tennis right now. Again, it's always going to be about the consistency of results with her, but I don't know how you can watch her win matches like that and make a run like that on clay and not just get so excited about what is coming for her in the future because it is great things. There is no doubt in my mind about that, and so that was great to see her really go have that standout result like that because it's just something that you rarely see for a 17-year-old player, and she's always doing stuff that you don't see every other day, but this was great because it was on clay. It was a little bit different, and it was very impressive, but I want to talk now about the teen who was probably even more impressive, and who actually ended up beating Coco Gauff in the semis, and that is Iga Sviatek, who had a remarkable run to the title in Rome. Beat six straight top 40 opponents, including Madison Keys, including Allison Risk, Svitolina, Goff, and then Pliskova in succession, beating Pliskova, love and love in the final. I believe Pliskova won 13 total points, a ridiculous number. It wasn't even a competitive love and love. It was over in 45 minutes. And I think we're getting to the point with Sviatek where she might have to be the favorite at the French. She's won 14 of her last 15 matches on clay. Her only loss in that stretch is to Barty, arguably the best clay quarter in the world, arguably the best player in the world, who is, I believe, the current French Open favorite. And right now, Sviatek is second in French Open odds, which is pretty darn good for a 19-year-old who has just broken into the top 10 now, but she is there now. World number 9 at 19 years old, And she's coming off of last year, the most dominant slam victory since Peak Martina. That is what she did at the French at 19 years old. And she just doesn't play like a teenager. I mean, whereas Coco, sometimes you see where she still needs to smooth things around the edges and where she needs to develop that consistency in her game. Zviatek is always so in control. The placement, the ability to vary pace, her ability to pull people off the court with that heavy topspin on clay. It's unreal. She's always in position. She's always squared up. She's always hitting the ball cleanly. And uh, I think she's as good as anybody on clay right now. And by the way, she's not all that much worse on any other surface. But clay is definitely where she's most comfortable at this point. And she might be my pick to win it all at this point. Amidst the Bardies and the Halops of the world, there's something really special that she's doing on this surface right now. And it's going to sneak up on us fast because she won the French in September or October. I don't remember exactly where it was, but obviously much later than normal. And if she could win the same tournament twice within eight months... At 19 years old, having come from basically off the board when she won it the first time, that would just be some all-time memorable stuff, and she's fully capable of it. There is no doubt in my mind about that, and so that is always just so fun to see. Like, she is not an emerging young star anymore. She's an established star, and about anyone else, you may have questions. Some of the Americans, even if it's Coco, if it's Amanda Nisimova, Zviatek has eradicated that. She's passed that and she is right up there with Andrescu and Osaka for the best of this young generation and I just didn't see that coming obviously a year ago and here she is and she has accomplished so much in such a short amount of time and is going to continue to do so. So have to shout her out just because of how remarkable that was. I want to talk now about something that doesn't involve Madrid or Rome. So we're past the recap section here. Those were kind of the storylines that I most wanted to talk about. But Roger Federer is back. We just saw him play for the first time on clay in a long time in Geneva in his home country and it's been two months since he played in Doha. So good to see him back out there. We've only seen three matches from him on the year and he hasn't had that one where it's all clicked yet. When he first came back he beat Dan Evans in three highly competitive match. Then he lost to Basilashvili in three And now he just lost to Pablo Andujar in three. And obviously a solid player. No shame in that. All those guys are solid players. I thought he looked good. I think his feet are as sharp as ever. I mean, obviously his footwork is so precise. He's always going to be in position. And even when he takes a little bit of a ding in lateral mobility, that's not going to affect his ability to take the quick short steps that make him so great and to be so efficient with his movement. But I don't think even his lateral mobility really looked hindered. I thought that for a guy coming off of obviously so many knee problems at 39 years old, it looked pretty damn good, and I'm never going to question the ball striking with Roger Federer, uh, because if I did that, I would be a fool and a loon. So, I think he's just getting back into it. It's going to be interesting to see what he's capable of, and I think that we kind of need to see a larger sample size of him playing to really determine what level he's at, because He's been through so much at this point, point. and again, he's just getting back into the flow of things. I mean, he hasn't had a multiple-match streak uninterrupted in uh, over a year. He had two matches in Doha, and that was the most of it, and so maybe he's not a top-three guy anymore, given how good the next-gen has gotten. And again, the fact that Sitsipas, Rublev Zverev are all playing the best ever. Daniil Medvedev is currently ranked higher than Rafa Nadal, and Dominic Thiem is now a Grand Slam champion. Like, the competition is certainly tougher than it was, I would say when we last really saw Fed competing out there. Basically, everybody else has gotten better around him, but I can't see him not remaining a top eight guy. I just think he's too talented still. He's Roger Federer, and so is he going to contend for a slam? Maybe not, but I also don't think that we can say that he won't. I think we just need to see more, and that's kind of my takeaway with all this. He looks pretty damn good for a guy who hasn't been out there for a couple months, and before that hadn't been out there for much longer has dealt with all the injury stuff that he has, I would say even in defeat, it was a more encouraging performance than discouraging. You can't expect him to be peak Roger Federer, certainly not coming off this kind of injury, certainly not at this age anyways, and I think it's going to be really fun to have him back, and it always kind of bums me out when he says things like the French isn't his goal for this year, obviously he's taking it off. A handful of times at this point. I wish he would play it every year and be fully committed to it. I think he's going to play this year, but it's just not his top priority. And that's a little bit of a shame, but it's also a reality when you're 39 years old trying to preserve your career. And I understand that. So unfortunately, we're not going to see his countrymen, Stan Vavrink, out there in the French. He's injured and will not be taking part at 36 years old now. And It's always a bummer for him to see maybe in the twilight of his career, although I think he still looks pretty good when he's out there. Maybe not what he was the last couple years, but certainly solid, competitive guy who can be a top 30 level player on tour and all that. But I just want these guys who obviously I've grown up watching and have always been such a fixture on tour, so dominant. Stan hasn't always been that dominant, but at his peak obviously was out there winning slams in the toughest era in tennis history. I want to see those guys remain close to their true selves and healthy and available and just competing on tour because I know that it's great for the sport but the good news is of course the influx of talent we have right now is so encouraging on both the men's and the women's side and the sport is going to be in a good place I think I can say decisively now more than I ever could before because right now we have these moments where we could have a Rublev Sitsipas final and that's thrilling Or we could have a Rafa Djokovic final, and that's still more thrilling. But we have both, and that's just really good for the sport, and it's in a good spot. So, that will do it for us here today. I apologize again that I had gone so long without doing a show, but time was just kind of flying by. But luckily, we are getting into the real meat of the season now. I mean, obviously, these were a couple of great tournaments that we just had. But with the French coming up, and then as we get into summer, this is obviously the peak of the tennis season. So, we will have lots of good stuff coming Stay tuned for all of that. And as always, it has been an absolute pleasure. I've been Carson Brabber. This was Down the Line. Hope you've enjoyed.